start uh, book five of the psalm. So psalm 107 will be uh, our kickoff point tonight. When we look at Psalm 107, Psalm 107 is a psalm that defines God, the expression of the love of God that we experience in life. So I don't usually start at the end, but look at verse 43. We're going to just look at it and see what it is that God's calling us to here. So at the end of the psalm, very And they will understand the chesed, the loving kindness of God. <clears throat> A lot of times, look around in religious circles, I guess, is a good way to put it. And people talk about the concept that God is love. You ever wonder where they get that idea? Where do they, where do they come up with the idea that says, God is love? Uh, it doesn't come from a different... Religious source, is that me clicking? Yeah, okay. Might be the beard. It's getting long now. It says, stop touching. No? Uh -uh. Is this a bad one? <laughs> Sorry. So we wonder where, where that concept comes from. Apart from a study in the Word of God, you will not come up with the concept anywhere else in any other religion that God is love. The, the, the idea of a loving, uh, benevolent God is not found anywhere else except through the Bible. And when we look at Psalm 107... He really describes, he says, this is the, this is the psalm. Let me, let me tell you, the wise man will meditate on these things and he'll understand the love of God. The fact uh, that God is love. So as we look at it, just, just look at it with those eyes as we take a, a look at Psalm 107. So he begins, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for He is good, for His mercy endures forever. Now remember when I, I, there's a couple of words that, that come up all the time. You'll notice in your Bibles, um, that's a capital L-O-R-D, which means it's Yahweh. It's uh, Y-H-V-H, the Tetragrammaton, the name of God, proper name of God. So uh, it's not like the idea of my king or my sovereign, uh, my Lord, it's his name. So Yahweh, and then the word, his mercy endures forever. That word mercy is the word chesed. Chesed is the, is the word I say in the Hebrew that most closely relates to the word agape or agape. You've heard of agape love or the love of God, self-sacrificing love that comes out of the New Testament. It's really a, 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 a word um, coined by Paul, the, the apostle. So we have this picture, a Hebrew word that pictures the idea. It includes in the concept of love, mercy, kindness, Sometimes it's translated loving kindness, tenderness. All of those words are descriptive of, of this attribute of God, right? 1 John 4, 7, and 8 tells us that God is love. Yeah? God is love. So in that word there, in the, in the Greek, we're talking about the word agape, self-sacrificing love. A love that loves without 
concern for what is received in return. It's utterly, totally, wholly given. A love that is given. So give thanks to the Lord, Yahweh, for He's good. And His mercy, this loving kindness, endures forever. So let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom He has redeemed from the hand of the enemy. Now we're going to look at four groups tonight as we work our way through this psalm. Four people that are in, or four groups, or four uh, uh, symbolic uh, situations that we may find ourselves in each of the four, or one of the four we may relate to. (coughs) But the idea of each of the four is that it's a picture of God redeeming. So the idea, that word for redemption or to redeem is a word uh, goel. Goel, if you've ever done a study in the book of Ruth, the book of Ruth, uh, uh, Boaz was the kinsman redeemer, the one who was able to buy back, to pay the price, to buy back a life that was lost. And so now what he's saying is he begins (coughs) to describe these terms to us. He says, uh, let those who are redeemed say so. That means if you picked a side, if you call yourself uh, uh, a believer in Jesus Christ, someone who who follows him as Lord and Savior, then it says, let him say so. No top secret. No, we don't need to hide, right? If you have a light, you're not supposed to put it under a bushel. Everybody familiar with the song? This little light of mine, right? (laughs) I'm going to let it shine. I want people to see. So he says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. I'm redeemed. Part of that concept, though, to, to say I'm redeemed is synonymous with saying, I'm broken, screwed up, I was a mess, and God saved me. That's, the, that's kind of the context of Psalm 107. That, and that's one of the prerequisites of experiencing the love of God, is to realize that we don't deserve the love of God. That there's nothing innate within us that requires God to love us, but it is wholly a response of his freedom that God chooses to love us and express that love most particularly through his son and his sacrifice for us. So let's look. It says, and gathered out of the lands from the east and from the west, from the north and the south. So where do the redeemed come from? Only one place? So the redeemed come from everywhere, right? South, east, west. That's a good way of saying everywhere. So we're not talking about... Only Israel, or only America, or only someplace else. We're just talking about all who would call on the name of the Lord. Right? Isn't that how the Word declares it to us? How easy is it to enter into a relationship with God? Whosoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. So it's simply making that choice. It says, yeah, I'm going to call on you, Lord. I'm going to call on you from wherever I am. So we have group number one, beginning in verse four. Let's hear the description of the group. They wandered in the wilderness in a desolate way. They found no city to dwell in. (coughs) Hungry and thirsty, their soul fainted within them. So the first group is a homeless wanderers. People who didn't have a home. Don't have a place where they belong. Don't have a place where they fit in. The homeless wanderers looking for a place. But not having not found any. They're hungry. They want something better. They're thirsty. They want something better. This isn't it. They, they know enough to know this is not what I want. 
one of the first ones we see that kind of fit that bill Abraham. The Bible tells us that Abraham was longing for a place, a city, whose builder and maker was God, a place that had foundations, a place where he belonged. But he could never find the place where he belonged, so he spent his life living in a tent. And the reason he did that was to say, I don't belong here, but I know there's a place I do belong. I just know this isn't it. So this group number one are the homeless wanderers, those looking for the place where they belong. Now look what happens in verse 6. As you're going to hear this verse over and over again. And they cried, (coughs) excuse me, they cried out to the Lord in their trouble. And He delivered them out of their distresses. So we're going to see this as like a chorus of the psalm. That they cried out to the Lord, the, the lonely, the homeless. Those looking for a place where they belong. So they cry out, and what's the scripture say? Remember we talked about it a little a little while ago, right? Whosoever calls on the name of the Lord, what happens? Shall be saved. So what do we see? They cried to the Lord in their trouble, and He delivered them out of their distress. In essence, they cried to the Lord, He hears them. He hears their cry. So I want you to think about it. What is it that they need? What is it that they need? What is it that they're looking for? And we see in the next several scriptures what God gives them. So he led them forth by the right way, that they might go to a city for a dwelling place. So he found them a home. He found them a home. So this first group, what are they looking for? They're looking for a father that can show them the way to go. We don't know where to go. I just, we just know we belong somewhere and this isn't it. And so God, like a father, comes and he leads them forth by the right way so that they can find where they belong. What are they looking for? They're looking for stability. They're looking for safety. Think of all the things a city means. Especially in that day. If you were in a city, you had safety. You didn't have to worry about robbers and thieves and and wild animals or other things coming in. It's, It's a little different than it is today. So the idea for them was... That's stable. That means I I got a place where I belong and people who are watching out for me. And here is what God does for them. Just like a father, he gives them a place where they belong. He says it this way, that they might go to a city for a dwelling place. Now another, maybe the bridge of the song we see. The bridge of the song goes like this. Oh, that men would give thanks to the Lord. Capital L-O-R-D, Yahweh, right? Oh, that men would give thanks to Yahweh for his goodness. So God, they cried out to God. God heard them. God led them to a place where they belong. A place where they fit in. Oh, that they would give him thanks for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. So how is it that God accomplishes this? How is it that God's able to relate? How is it that God's able to to speak into the lives of those who have no place. Well, think of the things Jesus said when he came. He said, foxes have holes, and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has what? No place to lay his head. I don't belong here. He was here, there was a goal, right? There was a purpose. God came, Jesus came to redeem. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. But what else did he do? Show them away. Show them away where? Home. So how is it that Jesus 
shows us the way home. Jesus said, I am the way, truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except by me, right? So Jesus shows us the way. So group number one, homeless, those without a home, a place to belong, and God leads them to that place. Now look at verse 9. For he satisfies the longing soul and fills the hungry soul with goodness. Now think about the name. God's name literally means, I am the becoming one. I am what you need. Yeah, it said earlier that they were hungry and thirsty, right? You remember previously we looked at it, it said they were hungry and thirsty and their soul fainted within them. So that when God showed them the place where they belong, what happened? He satisfied the longing of their soul and he filled the hungriness of their soul with goodness. Well, prior to that, it's, it's, a, it's a concept of that God-shaped hole, right? The, the emptiness of life that, that people have when they are longing for something else. And this place isn't it. The new, shiny, whatever didn't, didn't feel the need. And now it's filled by God in showing them the place where they belong. <coughs> Ultimately fulfilled for us in the life of Christ. Then we look at the second group. Look at group number two. Verse 10. Now those who sat in darkness and in the shadow of death, bound in affliction and irons. So group number two, these are prisoners, right? They're imprisoned in darkness. They're in chains. They're chained up. There's a couple of interesting things when we look at this. I want you to think about a couple of things that they're at. Who, who owns a prison? Who, to who does it belong? Look at verse 11, what it says. Because they rebelled against the words of God. And they despised the counsel of the Most High. Therefore he brought down their heart with labor. They fell down and there was none to help. So they, the, a concept that is laid out here is that, look, this is God's prison. And he put them there. They're imprisoned in a place of darkness in the shadow of death, bound in affliction and irons. Why? Because they rebelled. Okay, kind of a simplification to going through the Bible. The Bible basically tells us a, st- a story of two cities. Okay, Jerusalem. What's the other one? Babylon. One is the city of God. The other is city of rebellion against God. Remember, in life, there's no neutrality. Jesus said, you are either for me or against me. We're either in or out, right? So if we're in, that's a picture of Jerusalem. And if we're out, that's a picture of Babylon, rebellion. Rebellion against God. So these people, they're in rebellion against God. They're rebelling against His Word specifically, right? They rebelled against the words of God and despised the counsel of the Most High. And so God put them in prison. It's a prison of their own making, but nonetheless, it's God's prison. He's got them locked up there because of their rebellion against Him. Therefore, He brought down their heart with labor, and they fell down, and there was none to help. So they find themselves in a place where life sucks, I'm a prisoner, I'm stuck in bondage. What's the next verse tell us they do? They cry out to God, right? 
Then they cried out to the Lord, Yahweh, in their trouble, and he saved them out of their distresses. We see that verse again. Whosoever calls on the name of the Lord, what's the scripture say? Shall be saved. What if he's a rebellious guy who just hated God, was an animosity toward God, uh, despised, that's what that word means, despised the most high, hated God, finds himself in a place of judgment by God, imprisoned by God, chained up by God, because God chose, look, this guy needs to go through this affliction, but when that person cries out to God, who's his deliverer? The same one who was his warden. The same one who imprisoned him. When we look at the concept of the love of God, we see the character description in the first group as a father guiding his lost ones to a, a place where they belong. But the picture we see in the second group is of, is of king. Is of a king that was hated and rebelled against and imprisoned. But then what, what you see from that king is not often what you see characterized by your average ordinary king. And that is when the prisoners cry out, I get it. I learn. Forgive me that he is the one who opens the gates to his own prison and sets him free. Most of the time when we see that played out in reality, how do we see it played out? The king puts him in prison and locks it and throws away the key. I don't need to worry about those guys no more, right? They're out of my hair. But you see, God is a God of love described to us in the scripture. And a loving God will do exactly what he said a parent should do for his child. What's it say in Proverbs about disciplining our children? It says if you love them, you discipline them. If you hate them, you let them do what they want. That's what it says. So if we love them, there's discipline. Do they like discipline? According to the book of Hebrews, does anybody like discipline? No. None of us go, woohoo, oh, it's time for my whipping. I'm so excited. <laughs> so nobody likes discipline, but we all need discipline, don't we? Because discipline corrects us. So in the second picture, we see a God who is king, who disciplines his people, but he's also still their redeemer. He's still the one that set him free. Look what the scripture says. They cried out. He saved them. Look. He brought them out of darkness and the shadow of death. He broke their chains in pieces. It's not a picture where he just goes down there and unlocks it. He obliterates it. He dispels the darkness. He gets rid of it all. How is it that God is able to do that? Because in Christ... He bore that darkness. Didn't that darkness descend on the cross? Didn't the, the chains that men are bound with by, by our slavery to sin, didn't all that be, come upon him who knew no sin, who became sin for me, so that I might become the righteousness of God? So we see here, group number two in the work of, uh, of redemption, in group number two, provided for by the cross of Jesus Christ. What do these people ultimately need? What do they need? A deliverer. They need delivered. And they're delivered by the king. When's the last time you were delivered by somebody? When's the last time President Obama delivered you? 
Not into chains, I mean someplace else. <coughs> When's the last time even a congressman or somebody who is charged as a magistrate to, to be watching out for the people... When's the last time one of those kind of people have, has delivered you? But here you have the sovereign king, creator of the universe, who says, not only am I the one responsible for the chains and the prison, but I'm also the one who delivers you, who sets you free. Why? Because he pays the price. Not because he ignores the price, right? God didn't ignore the price for sin. What did he do? He put it on his sinless son so that we could be set free from our rebellion, which is what sin is, rebellion to God. So that we could be set free from that and restored. So look how he goes. After he breaks the chains, delivers him out of darkness in the shadow of death. Verse 15, remember I told you you're going to hear this again. It's like the bridge. Oh, that men would give thanks to Yahweh for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. In this case, why should they be given thanks? For his deliverance. For he broke the gates of bronze and he cut the bars of iron in two. Whose gate was it? His gate. Whose bars was it? His bars. God broke them so that he would be able to set the prisoner free the prisoner who did what was just there no the prisoner who called on his name who cried out for the lord for deliverance and god delivered him so group number one has no home and god like a father leads them to a home Group number two is in chains in darkness a prisoner and the king becomes a deliverer to set the people free all remember the whole point of this chapter is to Help the one who is wise to understand the love of God. Love like a father for his lost children. And love like a king who wants to deliver his own people. Set them free. Well, let's look at the third one. Group number three. Verse 17. Fools, because of their transgression and because of their iniquity, iniquities, were afflicted. Their soul abhorred all manner of food and they drew near to the gates of death group number three these people are sick they're sick with sin and they are dying what is it that they're dying of they're dying because that which would bring life they hate what's it say their soul abhorred hated all manner of food that which would sustain. So really, it's, this is a picture of people who are, are anorexic. They won't eat. They're starving themselves to death because they abhor that which, is, that which would give life. And so what happens? Verse 19, we come to the chorus. Then they cried out to Yahweh in their trouble, and he saved them. Out of their distresses. So whosoever calls on the name of the Lord. How's it go? Shall be saved. So they call on the Lord. Lord. Save me. And the Lord hears them. What does he send? What is it that these people need? They're sick. In sin. And they're dying. 
What do they need? They need a healer. So what's God sent them? A healer. Look at the very next word. In verse 20. So he sent his word and healed them and delivered them from their destructions. He, I love how it says he sent his word. Takes me right. John 1, 1. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God. And the word was God. Verse 14. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld him. We recognize that no man, according to verse 18 of John chapter 1, has seen God at any time. The only begotten God, who's in the bosom of the Father, has revealed him to us. John 1.18 So God has revealed who the Father is. God the Son reveals who the Father is through Jesus Christ, His Son. He sent His Word to heal them. Doesn't that sound just like that? The, our ultimate healing is accomplished how? What is it that Isaiah 53 tells us? That by His stripes we are healed. Because he bore upon himself, what? Our iniquity. He bore upon himself our illness, our sickness. He bore it. So what does it say? This deliverance, this deliverance that comes for group number three, they need a healer. Verse 21. Oh, that men would give thanks to the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works. To the children of men. So he bore our infirmities. And by his stripes we are healed. Verse 22. So let them sacrifice the sacrifices of thanksgiving. And declare his works with rejoicing. What do we do after we've been healed? All we got to do is look at any of the hundreds of healings in the New Testament, right? What happened with the man who was lame and Jesus healed him? He leapt, he runs uh, leaping and praising God, right? He he's, can't wait to tell people. He's rejoicing because the touch of the word has made him whole. What is it that, that they despise? What made him sick? They despise that which would make them well. Most of the time when we're in rebellion, in a state of rebellion against God, do we want to be a church? Do we want to open a word? Do we want to pray? Do we want any of those things that bring life? No, of course not. Because just like the sick, those who are sick with sin and perishing, we turn away from the medicine. So God, He came. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us so that we could see and so that we could meet our healer that's group number three then we have group number four verse 23 group number four those who go down to the sea in ships who do business on great waters they see the works of Yahweh and his wonders in the deep for he commands and raises a stormy wind, which lifts up the waves of the sea. 
They mount up to the heavens. They go down again to the depths. Their souls melt because of the trouble. They reel to and fro, staggering like a drunken man, and are at their wit's end. Group number four, sailors on the stormy sea. Did you notice who brought the storm? God did, didn't he? That's God's storm. God brought the storm. It says the waves go all the way up to the heavens. You ever been in sea like that? So, that's rugged, just in case you don't know. That's rugged. I was on the Iwo Jima, which is a a helicopter carrier. Uh, We call them gator freighters. They carry Marines to and fro around the world to drop us off in in beautiful, you know, tropical areas. And we spend the rest of our day suntanning and enjoying ourselves on the beach. So, the Iwo Jima, we were crossing the Atlantic, and we hit a crazy storm. And the only way to keep yourself in your bunk was to use your belt and tie yourself in. So you slept holding on... (coughs) You just use your web belt to wrap around the 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 top of the rack and hang on, because it was if you're not hanging on, you're on the ground, and the, on the ground was never a good place to be, because that's where everybody's throwing up. So being on the top bunk, way better place to be. So we grab a hold, and you could feel that. Now when you, that's a big ship. That's not like the 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 great ship Lollipop. That's a big boat. And when that thing pitches and you feel like uh, the bottom of the ship is going to become the top of the ship, that's what it does when you plunge down into the, the bottom of the, the wave. And then when you get to the bottom of it, it turns up and does the opposite. It goes crazy up, up, up. Feel like you're going off the, the top of the world, like you're being launched in a rocket. All night long. So it's cool for about the first 10 or 15 seconds. And then after that, <coughs> not so good. That's what's being described here. Only they don't got in a big old a boat like that. I was pretty sure, you know, as long as I kept myself chained to the boat somehow, I was going to be okay. They put me in a little fishing boat, and that's all over. Yeah, forget about that. You get no guarantee that thing ain't just flipping out. So they're plunging down and they're plunging up and, and the storm's so crazy. What does it call the what does it make the sailors do? Well, we come to our course again, right? Then they cry out to the Lord in their trouble, and he brings them out of their distresses. Now, who are we talking about? You remember? It's Yahweh, right? Verse 24, talking about the the sailors. They see the works of Yahweh, capital L-O-R-D. Almighty God. Proper name of absolute deity. So what is it that absolute deity does? Look at verse 29. He calms the storm. That don't remind you of nobody? We can't think of no story where we got sailors on the open sea, life's crazy, crying out, oh Lord, don't you care, we're perishing. What did it say? It said the sailors would freak out, 
call on the name of Yahweh, and Yahweh would say, peace be still. That don't sound familiar to nobody? The difference is, the story, the name of the person saying, peace be still, is Jesus, who is Yahweh, who does what Yahweh, only Yahweh can do. Jesus, who is absolute God. Verse 29, he calms the storm so that its waves are still. So what do these guys need? Sailors on an open sea in a crazy storm. They need an omnipotent friend. They don't need just somebody omnipotent because they might not care. But what would an omnipotent friend do if you're flipping out in the waves? Well, he'd do what Jesus did, right? Peace be still. Peace be still. First group. What are there? They're lost. They don't have a home. They need a father to lead them to their city. Lead them home. Somebody to take them home. Group number two. When we looked at, <clears throat> at, at group number two, what do we have? We have prisoners in the darkness, right? They need a deliverer. It's the king's prison. And the king is their deliverer. He's the one... Who sets them free? Group number three, they're sick and they're dying. What do they need? A healer. So what is it that, that they have? God, as their healer, sends the word to heal them. And these sailors toss about in this crazy seas. Life is a little nutty, no? no? Only for me? Nobody else has nutty life? You know, the I can't. I grew up in the original dysfunctional family, and <clears throat> I think most of us would say the same thing, wouldn't we? We all come from, we all got some weird something in our lives, some craziness. And what do we need? An, an omnipotent friend. Someone who can say, peace be still, and stop the waves. And when we look at all four together, you have a more accurate understanding of who God is and how he loves you. And what you really recognize is the impossibility of having someone who can be all those things. Right? Someone who can be the loving father showing you where to go. Someone who can be your sovereign king who is also your deliverer. Someone who can be your healer and someone who is your omnipotent friend and if we just look at any one view if we just say well he's just my omnipotent friend we're missing out on a lot of stuff right we're missing out on the god who leads us we're missing out on the sovereign who delivers us we're missing out on our healer and sometimes that's what we do we take god and we build a little box that describes him as one of these parts or pieces and we say that's him and we just kind of ignore the rest but he's all four all the time every day and some of us have come out of more than one of them groups ain't we some of us have not just been prisoner not just been sick or not just been the lost and we recognize the truth between what god told moses when moses said lord i'm going to go and deliver to people but i don't know who to tell them sent me they're going to say who told you to come and if i just say god they're going to say what god there's lots of gods. Which God? The gods of the Egyptians? The gods of the Greeks? I mean, who sent you? So who do I tell them? 
And God said to Moses, tell them, I am. You tell them, I am has sent you. Because I am the becoming one. I'm the only thing they're ever going to need. Because I can be their healer. And I can be their king. And I can be their deliverer. And I can be their father. And I can be their omnipotent friend. And in all four stories, if you notice, God is ultimately in control of the situation all the way through, isn't he? He didn't lose anybody. He was not not listening when somebody called on his name. He's there to hear and to act and to be and to do all that they need him to do. Well, look at verse 31. It says, Oh, that men would give thanks to the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. (coughs) The idea of mankind's response to the God who loves him. To the God who loves him so. So how? Let them exalt him also as the assembly of the people and praise him in the company of the elders. Why? Because this is the God who can change everything. Look at these next several verses. Just think about the kind of power that that God's talking about here. He turns rivers into a wilderness and the water springs into dry ground. so, So he decides where the rivers go, where they flow, how they're getting there, whether there's going to be any water in them at all. He can take a and turn it into barrenness. So if he can take a a land full of fruit and make it empty. So we see several things in the scripture, but, but two things really jump out at me. You see both the judgment of God and the redemption of God. Because not only will he take a fruitful and make it barren, He'll take barren and do what? Make it fruitful. He does both. He does both. For the wickedness of those who dwell in it. He'll turn a wilderness into pools of water. Now that word wilderness means desert. So he'll he'll turn a desert into pools of water. That sounds like redemption, right? Earlier it sounded like judgment, chastening, that thing that we don't often like. But God knows what we need, when we need it, to to get us on track. He turns the desert into pools of water and dry land into water springs. So, He can change the nature of things. Look, the only answer for what's going to turn around man's destructive nature is God redeeming the nature of man. Every single man, I don't care what you think, every single man woman, human being on the face of the earth is capable of doing everything you've seen the worst in man do. We watch things and we say, oh, I could never do that. Oh, sure you could. You got the same disease that guy's got. You just need the right set of circumstances, right? The right set of circumstances and that'll come out. What, what short circuit's that? When God moves in and He changes us. No longer am I the old man, for I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. 
And how is it that I live this life that Christ in me? How do I do it? I do it by the power of the Son of God who's given to me. His Holy Spirit in my life, the Scripture tells us, that changes our nature. So we change. We're translated from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. Ephesians describes it like this. We were once dead in trespasses and sin, and now He, God, has made us alive in Christ. That's the kind of radical change we're talking about, right? And that's exactly what we're seeing here. God doing radical changes in in people's lives. Look at verse 36. There He makes the hungry to dwell, that they may establish a city for a dwelling place. They sow fields and plant vineyards, that they may yield a fruitful harvest. He also blesses them, and they multiply greatly. He does not let their cattle decrease. So those without a home, to a place with a home. Those who are hungry, to a place of satisfaction. What is it that Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount? Blessed is he who hungers and thirsts for righteousness. For what? He shall be filled. God fills it up. God changes the nature. God, in the equation, changes everything. Can God radically transform a marriage? Absolutely. Can God radically transform your kids or your neighbors or friends or family? For sure He can. God is able to do all that. But what is it that occurs so that God is able to do that? Every one of those groups, what did they all have in common? They all called on the name of the Lord, right? They called on the name of the Lord. What the Word is declaring is in essence they found themselves in a place they didn't want to be. They bowed the knee before their sovereign. And they said, God save me. I don't want to be here. Forgive me. Deliver me. And what did God do? Forgave and delivered them. That's what God does. That's the love of God. Expressed for us in Psalm 107. Look at verse 39. <clears throat> now when they are diminished and brought low through oppression, affliction, and sorrow, he pours contempt on princes and causes them to wander in the wilderness where there is no way. But he sets the poor on high, far from affliction, and makes their families like a flock. The righteous see it and rejoice. And all iniquity stops its mouth. So what happens? First, when they are diminished and brought low through oppression, affliction, and sorrow, he pours contempt on princes. Princes are contrasted here with the poor. Who are the princes? The haughty. The ones who don't need nothing else. They don't need God. They don't need no help. They don't need delivered. So what's God say? He diminishes them. Right? That's where he takes those who have a home and he makes them homeless. For what purpose? Just to punish them? No, to bring them to a place where they'll do what this story talks about. And they called on the name of the Lord and he delivered them. Look, the saddest thing that we see when we study through the book of Revelation is throughout all that outpouring of wrath that's not necessarily intended for more than to drive men to repentance. 
But what is it that Revelation says over and over again? And still, they would not repent. They wouldn't call on God for help. They keep, continue going. There are, there are people like that, you know? There are people who don't want it, no matter what. But a loving God is constantly sitting with arms outstretched. Just call on me and I'll save you. Just call on me. Waiting for men to respond. But he takes the poor and he lifts them up. He lifts them from their affliction. He makes their families like a flock. In other words, their, their families grow. They have uh, friends and family around them. And the righteous see it and they say, yeah, that's the way it ought to be. And iniquity, sin, shuts its mouth. God's judgment bringing about His perfect plan in people's lives. And then the psalmist ends it like this. Whoever is wise will see these things. He'll observe them. And they will understand the loving kindness of the Lord. The love of God seen what? In the redemption of men. That God redeems men. That God wants to restore man. That God wants to raise man up. That whosoever would call on the name of the Lord. Every time they did it, what do you hear? God heard them and he delivered them. God heard them and he delivered them. Anything change? The Bible tells us God doesn't change, right? So he'll still do that today. If we call on the name of the Lord, he is there. Mighty to save. Amen? Why don't you stand with me? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we just thank you for the opportunity we have to open your word, to study Psalm 107. God, I pray that we, that we could <coughs> just recognize the loving kindness of God. The chesed. Everywhere, all over, people talk about this God of love, but do they take the time to read what the scriptures tell us about him. The only reason we know he's a God of love is through the scripture. We look on the pages of scripture and there we see it inscribed before us. I love you. 